This horror is a little snippet. A little snippet from J.R. the P. March 13th, 2020. The World Health Organization officially deemed the situation a pandemic, a global reaching uh, situation, a pandemic, the spread of the COVID-19 coronavirus. And you know what? On one hand, I do believe it is, um, you know, something serious to take into consideration. 127,000 people have been tested positive worldwide. There have been several deaths. It generally affects the elderly and people with pre-existing conditions, health conditions. So it's serious. If you have respiratory issues, if you're an elderly person, if you have pre-existing health conditions, yes, it is obviously serious. And regardless, you wouldn't want to catch it. Who wants to be like infected with a disease, like a pneumonia-like disease, a respiratory illness? Who would want that, right? So yes, there is the severity to it. But on the flip side too, it's like, and it feels like to me, and what I think, number one, it's overblown. I mean, this is just sensational news that is being perpetuated in a fake news era where your viewership, your listenership is valuable. You know, if they can control you with fear and keep you locked in, it's beneficial to news outlets. This spread of fear. It's almost irrational. I mean, they closed Disneyland at a time when you, when you need Disneyland the most, you know? All sorts of things are being postponed. And it feels like, number one, like a conspiracy theory, almost. Because news outlets at the beginning of 2020 were talking about the U.S.-Iran situation as a potential World War III. That's what news outlets were citing. You know, U.S.-Iran tensions, potential World War III. Canada got dragged into the mix because of the downing of a 757 Ukraine jet flying out of Iran, which killed like something like 170 people, several Canadians, several Iranians, you know, casualties, casualties of a pissing match that began between, you know, Donald Trump, US and Iraq, Iran, sorry. So it all seems like a conspiracy. Convenient timing, isn't it? 
you know? Don't look at what, um, you know, don't look at um, what these powerful people are doing, you know? Don't don't pay any attention to what we said, potential World War III. Oh, it's not that big a deal any, anymore. Your health is at risk, you know? Oh, no, you know? Don't go to Disneyland. You're going to die, you know? Like, it's... It's just so much fear and misdirection that it's it's almost laughable. It is almost laughable. Every fucking major news story is about coronavirus. They got the whole world hypnotized. And I think it's like a direct hit on positivity. It's a direct attack on positivity. 2020, the beginning of a new decade, you know, the beginning of a, it's like a monumental uh, year as well, like 2020. It just looks symmetrically right, you know, 2020. It's just kind of a cute little look to a new decade. It felt fresh and it's like, it feels like a direct tack on positivity. I felt brow beaten. I felt fucking fuck. I felt like I had the coronavirus, <laughs> even though I didn't get it. You know, it's like I felt just kind of tired and fucking drained of energy. And, you know, it feels like a direct attack on that. A direct attack on positivity. It's almost like they want to keep us in fear, locked into Continual fear glued to a news cycle, glued to their agenda. Or distracted from their agenda. You know, whatever happened to this World War III? What's going on with US and Iran? You know, what other little global um, situations are at uh, afoot during this time? Who knows what's going on? It's like a power outage almost, you know? You know when there's a power outage and everybody just loots, loots, robs, steals, commits crimes in the dark? It's almost like a global power outage in a sense, you know? Coronavirus, stay home. Don't pay any attention to anything other than your health. Your health's at risk. Your children's health's at risk. You know? You know? Shaping your attitudes and attention. Guiding you in a fear-based fucking downward spiral. That's what it feels like. It feels like a fucking vortex. And it's been fucking with me the last couple days, man. The last couple weeks. It's just been like, oh. And that's what I think it is. I think it's like a deliberate... Yeah, I mean, there's obviously a severity to it. I'm not going to say it's completely a hoax, but there's definitely a fear-based agenda behind a lot of this. And I think it has been orchestrated and engineered to keep a sense of fear and control over the masses. Because, hey, man, what a better way to fucking deflate 
people than having them fear for their lives. When by all accounts, it's just like having the flu or a little bit of pneumonia. (coughs) Fucking Tom Hanks, my name's Forrest, Forrest Gump. He sent out a tweet saying, you know, hey, it's no big deal. He's like, you know, well into recovery, quarantining himself. He and his wife, Rita Wilson, they're working towards their health. You know, they're on a fucking fishing boat somewhere. They're on a shrimp boat somewhere, quarantined, you know, doing whatever. Somebody poisoned the water hole. So I don't fucking know, man. It's a bunch of horse shit. coronavirus you know Tim Hortons in Canada for fear of the coronavirus they've like discontinued their um, roll up the rim beloved little sweepstake game you know for all y'all that don't know in Canada Tim Hortons which is a coffee chain several times a year they have like a sweepstake giveaway that they call roll up the rim, where you roll up the rim of your coffee cup and you could potentially win a prize. It could be a donut. It could be a coffee. It could be $25,000. It could be a fucking SUV. And what you do is you rip off the, the little rim of your coffee cup, roll up the rim. Then you take it into your local Tim Hortons and you cash it in for whatever the prize is. Well, they've discontinued that. They're going to do it by like an app or something. They've taken the thing online. They've taken the fun and joy completely out of it. I want to roll up the rim. I don't want to fucking click for the rim. It's fucking ridiculous, you know? And they're trying to look for like um, environmentally friendly ways to discard of all the, um, you know, unusable unusable um, coffee cups that they use for like um, the roll up the rim game. It's like, what are you going to do? Make a Corona mask out of it? You know? Fucking stick a double double over your face. That's going to save you from fucking coronavirus. I'm just getting brow beaten, worried to death, world weary of the whole situation. And While I do believe it is very much rooted in a real concern, I am not convinced that this isn't all just one big um, conspiracy theory or one big conspiracy, rather, that has been orchestrated, engineered, to inject fear, to profit off of fear, and to distract, like a power outage, to distract the masses, keep them focused on, you know, their own health and concern while the puppet masters play their little puppet games, you know? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. What do you think about this? Is it all not just a Witch hunt, okay? Fake news, okay? Hit me up, jr.thepodcast at gmail.com. I might not be the smartest man, but I do know what love is, Jenny.
It has nothing to do with the coronavirus. Life is like a box of chocolates. You better disinfect it and wash it fucking five times in the dishwasher or you're going to catch the coronavirus. Somebody poisoned the water hole. But um, check this one out here. And God bless Tom Hanks, one of my favorite actors. I was bruised and battered on the streets of coronavirus. I had coronavirus and I was coughing up phlegm and I had pneumonia and I was in China on the streets of Wuhan. For any of y'all that doesn't make any sense to, beloved actor, um, Tom Hanks won an Oscar for portraying a AIDS patient slash lawyer in the groundbreaking, um, socially relevant and aware film, Philadelphia, also starring Denzel Washington. And there was a song by, I believe, Bruce Springsteen about AIDS on the streets of Philadelphia. I was just making a little joke, you know, Tom Hanks having like, you know, coronavirus on the streets of Wuhan. Did I just double down on that bomb? Enough already. Okay. Drop your cacks and grab your sacks, folks. What's happening? It's your old chuckle buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramchand. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent March 28th in the year of our Lord. 2021. Welcome and bienvenue to Jonathan Ramcharan, the podcast. <coughs> Charlie Chicken, would you knock it off, you little knucklehead? Charlie. I can't take this chicken with me anywhere, folks. Pardon Charlie's French here. I am... I am mid-negotiation with my neighbor right now. Yes, you know, but I'm going to get to that. If you're new to the show, Jonathan Ramtran, the podcast, this is a show where I bitch, wine, squawk, bellyache, and kibitz about myself in order to relate to y'all self, y'all the dear listener, y'all the dear viewer, shared experiences, kindred souls, BFFs forever, you know? I'm fidgety and <laughs> whatever it takes to please you, whatever it takes to please you. <laughs> you know, we talk about current events, you know, um, entertainment, the times of the time, politics, news, the whole kit and caboodle, folks. You can't go wrong. Yes. Um, also, new to the program, there's ways in which to support JR the P. Yes, with your financial dollar. At no additional cost to you, really. Check this out. This is what is known as the Dr. Meter noise-canceling earmuffs. These puppies, take a look at these puppies. Look at that beautiful neon green earmuff. Look at that muff. Look at that beautiful muff, folks. These are what are known as the Dr. Meter 
noise-canceling earmuffs. Yes, smoke them if you got them, folks. You know, $16.99, something like that. On Amazon, they're noise-canceling earmuff, perfect for, you know, when you're on the bus and you want to silence the, you know, desperate begging of, you know, panhandlers scraggling up next to you. Change, change, you know, some stupid person squawking on their cell phone. A dibble-dabble, a dibble-dabble. I hear some Just talking to fucking blue streak on their cell phone, you know. Put on your little doctor meter earmuffs. Cancel these bozos right the fuck out, you know. Out of your life. Very handy. You know, link in the video description. And whenever you use one of my Amazon links, folks... Whenever you access the Amazon site through one of my Amazon links and you make a purchase within a 24-hour period, accessing the Amazon site through one of my links within a 24-hour period and you make a purchase, any purchase, doesn't necessarily have to be a Dr. Meter earmuff, whatever your purchase is, the typical things that you buy on Amazon, you earn JR the P. A referral fee. See what I'm saying, folks? I get a little bit of a kickback for driving traffic. Yeah. It's a way for y'all to support JR the P. And as I mentioned, I'm in negotiations with my neighbor at the moment, you know? <coughs> you know? I bought those noise-canceling earmuffs because she was partying up a blue streak. You know? She was... Bumping her tunes, you know, Shakira, you know, she's a very, I don't know, free-spirited individual, my next-door neighbor. It was getting a bit much, so I tried to do the best I could. I, you know, bought the noise-canceling earmuffs. They were doing a pretty good job, but they weren't blocking everything out. It was a bit uproarious, if you want me to be absolutely honest about it. It's a bit uproarious, the noise disturbances. So I wrote her a letter. I wrote her a little note. You know, and I'll post a picture of the note. Nicely worded note, just to let her know, hey, it's a little bit little bit of a disturbance. And perhaps if I'm being a little disruptive over here with Charlie Chicken. <coughs> perhaps if I'm being a little bit disruptive over here on my end, maybe I could be a little bit more mindful. And then in turn, you know, maybe she could be a little bit more mindful with her music. And together we can get along and make the world a beautiful place. So, you know, here I am. I'm in negotiations with my neighbor. She's been very accommodating. She's turned the music down a little bit, you know. But here I go on my end trying to hold up my end of the bargain. You know, I wake up first thing in the morning. There's Charlie Chicken squawking up a blue streak. <laughs> you know, and he's... Oh, Jonathan, can I be on the podcast? Jonathan, oh, Jonathan, can I be on the podcast? Look, Charlie Chicken, I don't know. I got this very heavy deal, heavy negotiations with my neighbor right now. We're trying to keep the noise down. I can only have you on the podcast. Do you promise not to squawk, Charlie? He goes, oh, yes, I promise, I promise. Charlie, do you promise? Do you promise if I bring you on the podcast, you're not going to be squawking up a blue streak? You know? He goes, oh, yes, Jonathan, yes, I promise. What do you know? First chance he gets. <laughs> I can't take I can't take this chicken with me anywhere. Uh. 
I think he's sorry. Good boy. Anyways, folks, it's Charlie Chicken. Everybody say bye to Charlie Chicken. Hi, bye. Hi, bye, Charlie Chicken. Hi, everybody. <sighs> and also, there's the free option of um, supporting JRP. Hit that like button. Subscribe. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, jonathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, you know, chortles, you know, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Sharing's caring, folks. You know, it truly is. Yeah. Quick sip of coffee. Coffee brick balls. Oh, yeah. And if you are new to the show, Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast, I am an actor extraordinaire. Performer to the bone, ladies and gentlemen, and damn proud of it. Yeah. Um, this past week, uh, I got to thinking, you know, using the old noodle. And I had a little bit of a reawakening, a revelation in my craft as an actor. And just a, a happiness for the quest, for the hunt. You know what I mean? Um, sometimes you get into a career and... You're so caught up in the humdrum drummery of the whole bloody thing that you forget about the quintessential specifics, the intricacies, the craftsmanship that drew you to it to begin with. You know, I'm sure once you become a lawyer, you know, the idealistic heart would be like, oh, you know, you want to go out there and you want to make a difference in the community. You want to get out there and, um, you know, take on cases of noteworthy meaning, defend the innocent, stand for justice. But once you get in them judge chambers, you know, there's all sorts of shakedowns, bribery, you know, boondoggle, boonswoggle, filibustering, you know, that's all folks, you know, hung juries, you know, corruption, scandal, you know. The pure evil of the human heart, these despicable scums of the earth, scum bucket, you know, these parasites that are a leech on the fabric of society, this ugly underbelly of filth and degradation, you forgot why you even cared to try to save the human heart to begin with. Fuck these dumpster divers. Let them die in a cell somewhere. You know, the thrill's gone. The spirit is right out of the thing. You forget sometimes when you're chasing a career. Very much the same as an actor extraordinaire, you know. Oh, I got to up my profile. Oh, I got to get my um, subscriber base up on YouTube. Oh, my social presence. Oh, my body. Oh, my looks. Oh, my this. Oh, my that, you know. 
I'm being judged by the aesthetic value of a unfeeling society. Ah, if only people would pay attention to me. How do I get people to pay attention to me? Ah. You forget why you're even in it to begin with. And it is a craft. It is a heightened version of storytelling. It's breathing life into good literature, a good script, a good play. It's a human rendition of a story through film, stage, the visual aesthetic, the live performance, the electricity in an audience, the lasting replay value of a classic film and then the actor work you know the emotional inner life of a character bringing the character to life finding that emotional inner life and portraying these characters portraying these stories i remember i was on assignment as i have a diploma in Theater arts. In theater arts school, when I was in college, I was on assignment. I was doing a play. And my character was to have a very intense moment toward the end of the play, the final scene. My character walks on stage expecting one situation, being met with another situation, hence... Life has changed, and the reality of the character's life is forever changed. It's a heavy scene, you know? It's like a life-changing scene. It's a, uh, a revelation in the character. And in a lot of senses, it's like almost like a death, a coming to a realization, an ending. An ending of a chapter. Very emotionally charged scene. And some of my work, the craft that I had to do, was to find that emotional inner life. Right? Find that connection. Find that realism. Find a way to make it meaningful other than just stumbling onto a stage, walking across a stage, ho-hum, humbly-do, walking across the stage, babbling a couple lines. Oh my God, my life has changed. Ah, Finding an emotional inner life to be connected with that character, to bring those words off the page, to connect with the audience. And in doing so, there are rehearsals. You rehearse the scene in rehearsal with your fellow actors. You do your own due diligence on your own time, going over your lines, um... One of the hardest things in acting, um, a lot of actors can attest to this, um, Uta Hagen, renowned um, acting coach, had spoke about this. Entrances and exits. Entrances and exits. You know, it's like an audience can smell a phony entrance or exit, you know, just waddle onto the stage as if nothing was going on. So that was a part of my craftsman time. Walking back and forth, 
finding what that rhythm would be like, where that person's headspace would be in that moment. Contemplating the lines, trying to find that connection in that emotional inner life. Sure, it's not back-breaking labor that you might do in a coal mine, you know, but it's the craft of acting. It's that attention to detail, specific, time-consuming labor of love. And believe it or not, that's what, well, I think you will believe this, that is generally what people love in an actor. Name your favorite actor. Whatever they do is a time-consuming labor of love. They commit to their script, commit to their character, commit to their project, consider this craftsmanship time, spend time with the script, spend time with the dialogue, the character, creating an emotional inner life that brings out this beautiful reality on stage. See, I can be poetic when I take my tongue out of my ass. So... When I did that craftsmanship work on that school assignment, that school play that I was in, in college, I lit the fucking stage up. One of my finer moments. Now, believe me, folks, I've shit the bed. I've had my tongue in my ass. You know, I've had a dumpster fire on stage before, folks. But um, this particular um, play, this particular character, this particular scene... I lit it up. I really did. I kind of brought it to life and the audience was very well receptive. I got congratulations all around. The audience afterwards congratulated me, fellow students. I remember my director, the director uh, came up to me and shook my hand. Wow, Jonathan, you really, you really, you really did it. And um, those are the fun moments, the finer moments, the enjoyment of a craft and the enjoyment in the quest, that quest for personal excellence in what you do. That's relatable across industry. Hallelujah. So there you have it, folks. Jonathan Ramcharan, actor extraordinaire. I am also a stand-up comedian extraordinaire, you know, coming up 13 years experience, 12, 13. Oh, hell, I don't know. Not exactly sitting around with a calculator trying to figure out every little stupid thing I do in comedy. But, um, you know, on previous episodes of JR the P, I've spoken about, you know, the importance of Various concepts in comedy, the importance of fun, the importance of belief, the importance of resilience. (laughs) And today, what I'd like to speak to y'all about is the importance of business in stand-up comedy. It's a business. Now, when I got into comedy 12, 13 years ago, I um 
I came at it from a very different angle. The typical story, the general story of the comic, somebody who wanted to be a comic ever since they could remember, somewhere around the age of 20, usually somewhere around the age of 20, they go to an open mic, they meet, they meet, they make a bunch of comedy friends that are also newbies, new to the scene, and then they just kind of get into it. They start doing open mics, start hanging out at comedy clubs, start trying to get road work, start trying to build an audience, deadly duh, deadly duh. 20 years later, you know, they start seeing a little bit of a reward. That's the general trajectory of a comic. Mine was a little different. So from my perspective, I have a little bit of a different outlook, you know? So I came to comedy at the age of like, I started doing stand-up at like 18, but I only really started being committed to it at 22, right? So there was like a four-year window where, you know, I was in theater school, I'm an actor, I was going after and pursuing my acting, but I also had a little bit of experience with comedy, so I was like... Okay, I'll keep my, you know, toe in the arena. I'll keep my poker on the fire or whatever the fuck the saying is. I'll keep my kettle on the stove. You know, like, as I'm going after my acting work, I would like, you know, every few months I would get on stage. Maybe I would get on stage twice in a month. Ooh, that was a big month for me in comedy. So, you know, I would, from month to month, every few months I would get on stage as a comic but I wasn't really going after it. There was like a four-year period. Then by the age of 22, you know, I was a washed up, (laughs) problematic, soused, drunk around the clock actor, you know, just really wired and going through a lot of personal problems, so to speak. And I came to comedy as like a dejected actor. Like, you know, I had all these problems in my life and, the only real opportunity to perform that I could see in front of me was stand-up comedy. So I was like, well, I shit the bed as an actor. I guess I'll be a stand-up comic. I don't f-. And I always loved comics. I always loved comedy. Some of my favorite comics, you know, growing up, you know, I, I loved Fozzie Bear. Oh, waka, 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 you know. Hey, you know, what are you kidding? You know, my dentist, that's another one. I said, Doc, my teeth are telling yellow. Told me to wear a brown necktie. <laughs> you know, Rodney Dangerfield? <laughs> Some mornings I get drinking early, Johnny. You know, I love Fozzie Bear, Rodney Dangerfield, Eddie Murphy, you know? Sherman, 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 that's my baby. I got a date, Friday night at eight. I will not be late. <laughs> the clumps? <laughs> the nutty professor? I love the nutty professor. I was in that age range when um, I'd seen a few Eddie Murphy films, but I think I was like probably like 10 or something when The Nutty Professor came out. I loved that movie. That was a good one, you know? Oh, Sherman. I'm Sherman's grandmother. I'll tell you something about Sherman's grandfather. He was a strong black man, Sherman's grandfather. He'd get on top of me and just... 
ride me. Ah, oh, he was a strong, broad-backed black man, Sherman's grandfather was. He used to just give it to me. Sherman, 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 that's my baby. <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Women be shopping, baby. Women be shopping. You can't stop a woman from shopping, baby. Yeah. You know, so I love Fozzie Bear. I love Rodney Dangerfield, Eddie Murphy, you know. Um, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't, re- it wasn't really in my mind to be a comic. I didn't know how to do it. I, like, it was a mystery. In a lot of ways, it still is. That's why it's very important to know generally how the business works. It's like a creationist industry. If you create your audience, build your audience, grow your audience, that would be through online endeavors like a podcast, vodcast, or that could be live performance, getting on stage, you know, networking with other comics, making connections with business uh, club owners, club owners, getting on the road, things like that, you know, building your craft. Yeah, that's how you do it. And... Where I was at a little bit of a disadvantage was I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you had to build an act and network with other comics and be professional. Like I, I was like, yo, like Richard Pryor was another one of my heroes. Let me show you how influential Richard Pryor is. I knew of Richard Pryor. I knew that. I knew the name. I knew he was like a legendary comic, but I wasn't really familiar with his work so much. I just knew he was a legendary comic. And then, you know, maybe I saw a few clips. I think YouTube was very new at that time. Like in 2008, YouTube was very kind of still growing. So I could catch a few Richard Pryor clips on YouTube. So, you know, I'm like, okay, a few Richard Pryor clips here and there. I think I saw his first, uh, one of his first uh, first um, <clears throat> specials, like, Richard Pryor live and smoking, I think it was called, when he's standing there and there's that there's that menu behind him, that chalkboard menu. You can catch a habit from sucking dick. <laughs> Fuck you, white people. <laughs> Fuck you, motherfucking white people. But um, so you know, I, I catch a few Richard Pryor clips in here and there. I'm like, okay, cool, yeah, Richard Pryor, and and then I learned like, oh, he was a chaotic, fucking drug addict fucking pussy fiend sex addict i'm like wow that sounds like a good trajectory for me that's what i'll do instead of focusing on the business of comedy building my act growing my act growing my audience growing my business connections growing my professionalism i'll just focus on getting drunk and high i mean it worked for prior right (laughs) forgetting that you know he had already gone through the business side of it he was very talented and I just kind of overlooked that in my kind of young, naive state where I'm just like, well, yo, a lot of comics get drunk and act fucking crazy. That's right up my alley. So I was drunk high around the clock. I remember one night, you know, I was in this drunken stupor. I'm like, ah. I'm like, ah. I want to remember this night. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. I'm going to remember this night. <laughs> You know, the ironic thing is I don't even know why I needed to remember that night. I kind of forgot. But I took a lighter 
and I burnt a quarter-sized, you know, like a quarter, quarter-sized mark. I burnt it on my, which thigh did I do it on? I'm wearing shorts, by the way, folks, can't see this. I burnt it on my, uh, on my right thigh. So <laughs> I burned this, like, quarter-sized hole with a lighter on my right thigh. I still got the mark. And I'm like, I'm going to remember this night. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. <laughs> I was like a, I was like a one year into being a hack comic at that time. <laughs> and I think like the very next week, you know, I, I was learning a little bit more about Richard Pryor. I was watching more videos about him. And I think I read his biography. And it's like, Richard Pryor lit himself on fire. Three degree, third degree burns over 30% of his body, 40% of his body. But how come when you woman, you know, she just be looking good. You know, she could be cool as a motherfucker. How come, you know, I blew myself up. You know, I did not know what to do. I was smoking crack. So the running joke was somebody strikes a match. <laughs> What's that? Well, that's Richard Pryor running down the street. I'm like watching this. So that's how influential he is in the craft. You can't even burn yourself without it being claimed as hack. You're just doing an old Richard Pryor bit, you know, you're burning yourself with lighters and shit. You fucking hack. So like, I don't know, I was like, you know, really influenced by him at times as well. And I got swept up in the Hollywood glamour starving, struggling artist, romanticism of it. I'll just get drunk and act crazy. That'll be good enough for people. It's a business. And it's so important that you be you, you be authentic. I mean, it was authentic. I really did have some drinking problems. <laughs> and, you know, today, today I am, uh, you know... Four plus years sober. But at the onset, I had a lot of drinking problems, behavioral problems. Uh, a lot of my problems came from my poor attitude. Like I said, I didn't really come to it in a traditional sort of comic way. I came to it completely oblivious of how much I loved comedy. I didn't even know I loved comedy. Because I, I didn't see it as something for me. I loved comedy and I loved comics. I just didn't think I could do it, so I didn't really value it. I saw it as like a little pit stop in my acting career. I thought like, I'm no good as a comic. What the fuck? I'm just trying to do this shit so I can become an actor. Then once I got into it and I started to sort of get a grip of what the business is about, building an act, building an audience, building business relations, building your profile... That's when things started becoming real for me. And that's when I realized, well, it took me still a little bit more time to realize the importance of the business aspect. Because I was still kind of swept up in that Hollywood glam, that glitzy glam, even though I'm not even from Hollywood. You know, Toronto, Canada, Edmonton, Alberta, Canadian, Canuck, sorry, eh? But like, I was... 
I was so into the lifestyle of just being the boozy, strung out artiste that the business got away. The business got away from me and I thought it was all just fun and games. It ain't, folks. It ain't. It's very much like any business. You got to bust your ass and work your you work your ass off. There's plenty of competition. And because of my sort of I'll put it on me because of my sort of oblivious approach to it. Like I wasn't, I had, I had opportunity to make friends and connections and comedy, but I was kind of a weirdo. I would just show up to the gig, do the gig, be drunk and obnoxious and fuck off. Maybe hit on a couple waitresses. I was just kind of uh, slimy scum bucket, you know, scumbag. Just like, I don't know. I was a bit of a dickhead, you know? Also kind of arrogant because like I had stage presence. That's one thing I had. My comedy chops weren't so great, but I had stage presence. So I could fake it till I make it. I could get on stage and strut around and run my mouth like I knew what I was doing. Yeah, I'm a comic. I'm leaning on the microphone. So what do you guys want to talk about? (laughs) You ever hear hear a comic do that one? So what do you guys want to hear? What do you guys want to talk about? (laughs) You know, I'm leaning on the the mic stand and, (laughs) you know, so I fucked her in the pussy. Hey, you know, I'm setting the stage on fire. Like, so like I had a stage presence and bravado, but the act wasn't really there. And, you know, I made friends, other degenerate fucking weirdos, but like the people that were really grinding in a business sense, I think were kind of standoffish towards me. They weren't so like, what's, what's, what's what's with this guy? He's drunk and high and crazy. Like, and he's arrogant and obnoxious. He's really not that great. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, at that time, <laughs> at that time. So like, you know, I had that thing going. So, so the business end of it wasn't really being cultivated. And circa 2010, somewhere in 2010, it was around that year, 2010 somewhere. There was like a well-known comedy roundtable. It was like a comedy interview roundtable with like, you know, some legends. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Louis C.K., Ricky Gervais. And Chris Rock said something along the lines of, um, you know, you motherfucker, you know, you you know, you're talking to your woman and she's always bitching about, you know, she can't get along with her co-workers. It's like, bitch, what's wrong? You work at JCPenney. What's she doing? Ripping up your shopping bags? You know, he, <laughs> you know, he's, he's being the goat, the legend, Chris Rock. He's doing his thing and he's talking. He goes, you know, I love comics, you know? Like when you go to an award show and, you know, you see, you see all these motherfuckers and you see a comic, you're like, oh shit, a comic, baby, a comic. So you rush over to them, you give them a hug, you know, it's like, I love comics. Whenever I walk into a room, all these weird people, all these suit and ties, I'm just like, uh, 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 I want a comic. I see a comic and I go to a comic. (laughs) And Jerry Seinfeld's like, I believe you. That's the same thing. I mean, what's the deal with all these suit and ties? You know, I go to an award show. I just want to hang out with other comics. You know, what's the deal with all these suit and ties getting awards, award ceremonies? 
It's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> so Jerry's agreeing with him, you know, and the legends, the, the legends are spitting some wisdom. They're, they're talking about how, you know, comic to comic, they'd rather hang out than <laughs> with the oddities of the real world, right? That's deep insight from them, and that's their perspective. But what I saw happen after that was every comic started to try to play that card. You know, just like myself, you know, these bottom-the-barrel fringe comics, these fucking, you know, you, you might get a gig or two at a real comedy club, an A-room or something. You're like on the fringe of the shit, and they're walking around, and, well, I'm sick of society. When I walk into a room... All I want to see is another comic, and I rush over to the other comic, and comics have such a comic bond, and comic this, and comic that, and comic to comic, all this comic love. Everybody was saying that, you know? When I walk into a room and I see another comic, I'm, finally, somebody who understands me. Oh, somebody who understands me. I love comics. Right? Like, knock it off. Right? And people were just biting that philosophy, and I don't know, from my perspective... And again, it's different. I didn't really come up in a traditional way. I had problems. I had already failed in performing to an extent. Like I had a flopping, floundering acting career. I wasn't growing my act. I wasn't growing my audience. I wasn't growing my business connections. I wasn't growing uh, my professionalism. I was just like this floundering miscreant. So... You know, being a floundering miscreant in a sea of floundering miscreants, it's a lot of desperation. So, I personally didn't see it that way, you know, which is the way it should be. Professional courtesy, a professional knowing, comic to comic, oh, hey, what's up, you know, fighting the good fight, you know, you know. Keep getting on stage, you know, keep hitting that fucking stage, you know, keep hitting that notebook, you know, keep rocking in the free world, you know. Wagwan, son, what's going on, player? Good to see ya. Off the road, on the road, whatever. Comedy, do dilly right? That's the way it should be, I guess. But like, I was like a desperate miscreant amongst other desperate miscreants. And there ain't none, there wasn't none of that fucking brotherly love shit. Give me a break. And it's a business. You know what I mean? Like as much as one, you know, let's say you have somebody who is a great pizza maker and they're a great chef. They make pizza. They would probably have a lot of respect for another fine pizza maker. And they're, you know, it's like I know that I work hard at my pizza making business and I know that you have a pizza-making business that you work hard at, and we can have some professional respect for each other. But if that motherfucking grease ball opens up a fucking pizza parlor right next to your pizza parlor, like, yo, hey, you get off my cloud. You don't know me. You don't know my style. Pipe down. Shut the fuck up. Wagwan. What's this motherfucker doing Open up a pizza parlor next to my pizza parlor player? You know what I'm saying? It's business. So 
being a desperate miscreant or amongst desperate miscreants, people were at each other's throats. People were backstabbing, snide, conniving, conniving, and, you know, backstabbing, you know, the, the backstabbers, you know? So <laughs> it was just a malfunctioning business practice is what I saw a lot of the time, you know? Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld, Louis C.K., Ricky Gervais, they were talking about that beauty in business as a comic when you can have a good reputation and be respectful of other comics and be truly happy when you see your peers out and about. Whereas I was doing it backwards. I wasn't growing my business. I wasn't growing my act. I wasn't growing my connections. I wasn't growing so I was, in the, I was in this sea of desperation around other desperate act, comics. And there ain't none of that fucking love. It was all cutthroat backstabbing, the bloody backstabbers, you know? So, you know, business. Today, I am, you know, accountable. And I'm focused on myself. I'm respectful of others. I'm open to opportunity, to networking, and, you know, kissing ass, you know? So... There you have it, folks. The importance of business in stand-up comedy. Jonathan Ramcharan, stand-up comedian extraordinaire. Quick sip of coffee, coffee break, boss. Don't mind me, boss. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. It's hot. Hot one, folks. Yeah. So, what's going on in the world? If you saw the top of the program, I did a clip, a little throwback, JR the P snippet from March 2020. And I was talking about coronavirus. Even back then, I was hollering. You know? You know, I've been spitting this for a minute now. Um, COVID. COVID-19 is a political weapon used to disrupt global economies and gain control for whatever nefarious reason. Hey, there's something awfully squooey going on around here. Uh, oh, that wascally Wuhan wabbit. Something awfully squooey going on around here. I've been spitting that since March 2020. It's a f- scam. It's phony. It's a phony baloney. COVID-19's phony baloney. You know what I mean? And where I'm sitting here, March 2021, it's like, I want to judge people on it. You know what I mean? When I see people in masks, I truly love them. Like when you see a person wearing a mask, what they're really saying is, you know, I want to live. I want to live. I want to live. And I get that. I understand that. And they're saying, you know, I love my family. I don't want to hurt or sicken my family. I love my family. I love my friends. I want to live. That's what people are saying when they wear a mask. I love people. I want to live. And it's sad because, you know, I'm not going to call them fools for it, but... It's pretty obvious at that at this point we're a year past COVID and you still see people 
wearing masks, double masks, double mask wind shield. Like, come on. It's a phony baloney. It's a scam, folks. COVID-19 is a political weapon used to disrupt global economies and gain control for whatever nefarious reason. It's a political weapon. They used it to fuck with the United States during the presidential election of 2020. There's some sort of Cold War situation going on between China and the United States. There's some sort of cover-up between tension with United States and Iran. There was the downing of that flight 752. They were talking potential World War III at the top of 2020. Now that's all been a cover-up. It's all gone out the window. Whatever, whatever, I don't know. Fear for your life, COVID-19. COVID-19, hide your children, hide your wives. Ah. Now it's like different strains, different variants, different variants of different strains. Just when you thought you were out of the woods. And isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? How they came out with this vaccine. Didn't they say it was going to like take like 18 to 24 months? Didn't they say it was like a reasonable time frame for a vaccine was something like a year and a half? They popped one off in little under the, a year. These dummies lining up to take it. Putting God knows what into their body. All for a scam, a phony fraud. COVID-19 is a political weapon used to disrupt global economies and gain control for whatever nefarious reason. There's something awfully squooey going on around here. Oh, that wascoey Wuhan wabbit. So my duty going forward as a... You know, like I've been spitting from the beginning, your weekly, monthly, yearly, till these dumb motherfuckers see clearly. I've been spitting it from the get-go, from the gate, March 2020, you know? Dip back into the lexicon of Jonathan Ramchand, the podcast. I've been spitting that for a minute. And, um, you know, it's bullshit. And, you know, my next step is... um, First of all, I'm not getting vaccinated. Not doing it. Secondly, um, if I have to wear a mask on a bus or... Did I just tell the world on the internet that I take the bus? <laughs> um, if I have to wear a mask on a bus, you know, as a peasant on a bus, if I got to wear a mask on a bus or at a grocery store where I'm required to in a... In, in a When a business asks me to wear a mask into their business, I will. But when I walk down the street, I take the mask off. And my next step is I'm going to be watching. I'm going to be watching. And when it starts to seem like, because I hope this is, I think it's coming down to the people and what the people need to take back in their civil liberties. So, uh, I'm that's my voice of... Contribute. That's my. That's my. That's my contribution. You know, this little rant on the internet, and also when I'm out and about, I take my mask off. Let it be seen that, hey, there ain't nothing to be afraid of. It's been a year now. It's overinflated numbers. There's no new information. It generally affects the overweight, the poor at health, the elderly. 
80% of people can recover with no special treatment. It's been reported that there's been a lot of cover-up and fudging of numbers in regards to COVID-19 related deaths, a lot of um, conflation. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious at this point, in my view, that it's just a scam, a fraud, a phony, a $3 bill. And, you know, my MO method of operation moving forward is like, I'm just, you know, masked up where I need to be, unmasked where I am free to be for now. And when I start seeing society getting a little bit more brazen, um, when I start seeing it be a little bit more accepted to take off a mask in a store or take off a mask in um, wherever, I'm going to start doing that as well because this is stupid. It's been over a year now, folks. It's been over a year, no new information, same old humdrum shit, you know? And, um, I mean, come on. They're trying to, like, scare you back into control, scare you back into line, double mask, windshield visor, variants, different strains. It's phony baloney, folks. So if you believe like I believe, and you're sick of getting fucked around, I think there is a reasonable, peaceable way in which we can move forward with our civil liberties. You know, I'm not trying to force people to see it my way, but I'm not trying to be forced to see it their way either. Hallelujah. And those are my thoughts on COVID-19. March 28th, 2021. Hallelujah. Also, um, this has been a pretty big week for me as well, this past week. Um, Week two, back at work, you know, and at work we wear masks and we social distance the best we can. And I understand that. That's what my employer asks of me. That's what I do. So I do it. And, you know, back at work. As a essential worker, you know, it's a factory. There, It's like a, what is it? I don't know. It's like a retail warehouse type of position. Very grateful for it. It's an essential job. And, you know, people are getting back to work anyway. And um, what it is, is it's an opportunity for me to serve my employer while growing my personal business. My personal dream, Noi Productions, N-O-I, Noi Productions, my personal film production company that I'm growing, you know? So I treat the business of my uh, employer much like my business, my independent business. I try to serve, try to serve and do my job. It's been very interesting. Um... I'm trying to continue to focus on myself. I spoke about the importance of that in business on the last episode. The importance of focusing on yourself. That's something I learned from the monumental self-help book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. He mentions somewhere in that book 
the importance of focusing on oneself. It pays to focus on one's self. It pays to focus on yourself. Instead of like pointing out what your neighbor's doing wrong, what your coworker's doing wrong, what your spouse is doing wrong, what your children are doing wrong, what everybody around you is doing wrong. Instead of poking and focusing on that, focus on yourself. It pays. You correct, you correct your own shortcomings, then all of a sudden you're operating better, more efficiently. It pays. So that's what I'm doing. I'm already noticing it, you know? And where that's relatable is like, you know, business is business across the board. If, if I think that, and what I know is if it's difficult and there are trials and tribulations dealing with other people's egos and agenda in retail slash warehousing, what makes me think there's not going to be the same set of problems in film production? You're going to be dealing with people's egos and personalities there as well. And then there as well, they're going to have issues and problems. And this came up and that came up. And this is what I have to say. And Okay, if I focus on myself and I learn how to work with these people, instead of trying to correct them and shame them and mold them and manipulate them, focus on myself, better myself, see how that can serve my employer, that same work ethic will serve my business, Noi Productions. So yeah, it's not always easy. You want to Sometimes you want to fight fire with fire, man. Sometimes it seems really personal. I mean, I've only been at this new job for two weeks now, and I'm already starting to notice, like, yeah, there's a lot of blah, 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 and talking, and rigmarole, and blah, 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 and assumptions, and egos, and arrogance, and miscommunications. Yeah, already I'm noticing that. And, um, you know, having noticed that, I've also noticed the importance of treating everybody the same across the board, a professionalism across the board, you know, like a standard. Because I'm starting to notice that people live in their own world. They have the right to be right. They got the right to be wrong. Jolene is gone. And when she left, she left with the right to be wrong. You got that doo-doo. You got that doo-doo. You got that shit. That that shit. It would be ludicrous to be thinking that we are new to this. Oh, yes, we do do this. You got that doo-doo, you got that doo-doo, you got that shit, you got that shit. Jolene is gone. And when she left, she left with the right to be wrong. People got the right to be right. People got the right to be wrong. So you got to have professionalism across the board. You can't be too eager to please. And you can't be so defensive of needs. You can't be eager to please. You can't be defensive of needs. 
People are always needy. They're always needing something. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Can you do this? Uh, blah, blah, blah. Can you do that? Uh, blah, blah, blah. And then yourself personally, you get this sense of eagerness, eager to get away from that. I'm eager to get away from the situation. I don't want to be controlled by them. Or you get eager to please them. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Can I please your neediness? Can I please and, and um, appease your neediness? Let me please you. Let me be your fucking bitch. Right? You got to have a professionalism across the board. Can't be too eager. Can't be too defensive. Just right across the board. Do the right thing. What's the issue? We're going to get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I can help you with that. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to find a solution. I'm right. I'm right. Oh, thank you. I'm wrong. Oh, oh, thank you. You're right. Okay, thank you. Oh, no, you're wrong. Okay, thank you. Like, whatever, whatever, whatever the situation is, my answer is, thank you. Not with a smug, fake phonery, but like, really, like, thank you. Cool. We're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to, we're going to correct the situation. We're here to work. We're here to get this done. No problem. Nothing. Another day's work. That's very important. Just that professionalism across the board, not being too eager to please or to appease, not too eager to be defensive of people's needs. It's a delicate balance, man. It's business. And it's relatable across business. One situation is very much like the next because you're dealing with people. And that's what business really, from my point of view, is... A majority of the foundation is dealing with people. People do business with people they want to do business with. You do business like a jerk-off, then people don't want to do business with you. You know? I mentioned earlier in the program, talking about being a comic. You could be the most talented comic. You know, I'm a stand-up comic. You could be the most talented comic in the world. If you're a jerk-off, people aren't going to want to do business with you. Same thing as an actor, which I am as well. You know, if you're a jerk-off actor, nobody wants to work with a jerk-off. Why don't you go jerk-off on a different set, buddy? You know? Be gone with you. So. And, um, I guess another takeaway this week was the importance of negotiating your worth. Yeah. In business, a lot of times in business, there's contracts, right? If you're an independent contractor, it's almost common sense to know this. An independent contractor sets their price to a certain extent, right? Um, Let's say you're a tradesperson and you build fences. Well, if you go into a situation and somebody asks you to build a fence... You take a look at the work and you come up with an estimation. And then, you know, that estimation is basically, this is what I need to get paid. This is what I need to be compensated in order to do this job. Right? A lot of times we forget that in, you know, an hourly job. You know, if you're getting paid by the hour or even if you're on salary. But a lot of times when you're working for a company, sometimes you forget that it's a contract. It's very much a contract, is it not? 
right? They contract you to do a position. There's the terms of the contract. They agree to pay you. You agree to do the work. That's the contract. It's a contract situation. So there should be room for negotiation. Now, I don't know how I feel about this, but this is something I'm going to experiment with because I've never done this. You kind of feel like you're at the hands of the, you don't want to bite the hand that feeds. The boss says this and I don't want to ruffle feathers and da-da-da-da. Well, I don't know. <clears throat> this past week, I was being shown a lot of things and I was, you know, on my toes and I was trying to soak it in and I was really trying to serve the situation. Then there came a point when they tried to show me something that was beyond my job description and not in a petty way, not in a petty little um, tit for tat way. It's something that went beyond my pay grade and not a petty way. It wasn't a petty thing. It was like, no, you're taking me out of my role and trying to teach me a different role. You're trying to get me to do a different role for the same pay. And I felt myself getting a little aggravated. I'm like, you know, here you got me running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to soak in all this new information. Now you're trying to put more work on my plate work that's not even a part of my contract and I was looking at that and I got a little upset a little defensive you know I kind of scampered off you know cooled off and I thought about it I'm like okay I know what I'm going to do from now on I'm going to go along with them to the point in which it becomes um I don't really know how I'm going to play it, actually. I don't know if I'm going to be forthright with it or if I'm going to wait and see. I kind of want to wait and see because I don't want to be too quick to jump. I mean, this is a new job. I'm grateful for it and I want to be a team player, but I also don't want to be taken advantage of. So I don't really know what I'm going to do. But basically, if it becomes an issue where they're trying to put me into this new role, I'm going to say, no problem. I can learn that role. And who can I speak to about like... Uh, negotiating the contract yeah like i mean i can do this work but i'm gonna have to negotiate my contract i'm gonna have to be compensated for that i mean i'm hired here to do a certain job and this is out of the job description so if we can negotiate the contract that's no problem i have no problem taking on this responsibility if i'm compensated for it So I'm going to try to take that approach because my first approach was to be very kind of like, no, I'm not doing it. What are we fucking talking about? Trying to get me to go over here and do all this bullshit? No. <laughs> but what I'm going to try to do, if it becomes more of an issue, if it becomes apparent that they want to push this new position on me, I'm going to negotiate. And that's very much the same as operating Noi Productions. There's going to be times, I'm sure, when I'm working with an employee or I'm working with another person and a negotiation situation comes up. You know, I might have to negotiate them to do with them to provide a little bit more service or to cut back on their service, a negotiation. So that's very important in business. So I got to learn some of that and apply it to my business. Noi Productions. So, 
that was also a blessing this week. A little bit of a, a little bit of an annoyance, but also a blessing. And um, you know, um, I had a good informative week, and um, personally, I believe in God. I believe in God, folks. And um, this is this was my second week back on the job, and um, I was starting every day with a mantra. I was like, you know, you could start the day like a bitch, or you could start the day like a king. And I'm like, you know what? I'm starting the day like a king. And I get up and I go for a jog, and I would try to keep it focused in my head. I'm there to serve my employer. I'm there to grow my own business. I'm there to make a difference. I try to keep that mantra going. And as I said, I had a couple shaky moments with, you know, just the basic ways of the world. I mean, I came up against a lot of, you know, just basic stuff that everybody goes through. You know, we we live in a world of cynicism motivated by self-interest. You know, I had coworkers that, you know, they smiled and welcomed me on one hand. Oh, nice to meet you. Welcome to the position. How come this isn't done? How come that's not done? What about this? What about that? I was like, you know, you just smiled and welcomed me into the job, knowing full well I'm new on the block. You know I'm new on the block. Yet you're talking at me as if I should know every little thing that goes on around here. People are motivated by self-interest. Cynicism. They do you know, they might smile at you and go, oh, hi, yes, nice to meet you. But really, whatever, whatever about you, good to meet you, bad to meet you, whatever about you, it's about me. It's not about you. It's about me, what I need, my wants, my needs, me, me, me. So I was met with some of that, like these overbearing kind of co-workers that like expected me to know all this information. It wasn't even like common sense stuff. It was like specific to the job. It's like, uh, focus on myself. Why they behave that way? Why they're blind to the reality? It's like, I'm obviously new. How would I know this information? Instead of focusing on them, focus on me. I'm there to build my professionalism, my business ethic. Business ethic. Business ethic. I'm there to build my business ethic. I don't have to focus on them. Whatever. Let them do them. I'm doing me. I'm going to treat everybody with professionalism and equally. Wasn't easy. A lot of times I was, you know, tempted to fight fire with fire. You know, treat them the way they treat me when it's like, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. As Mahatma Gandhi would say, Oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Oh, somebody get me a plate of spaghetti. Oh, I want some spaghetti and meatballs. I'm so hungry. Oh. You know, you know, as Mahatma Gandhi would say, an eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind. Right? So it's like... Fight fire with fire? What's the point of that? Right? So, you know, I was tempted with that. So, through all this learning period, 
You know, I was just waking up every day, you know. Do I want to start the day like a king or do I want to start the day like a bitch, you know? I'm starting the day like a king. Get up, go for my jog, mentally check in, pray. And um, on the ninth day, of the ninth day of JR the, sorry, on the ninth day on the job, something kind of happened where I was like, you know, God is with me. I just kind of felt God is with me. And I'm like, you know, if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. If you heard that phrase, if he brings you to it, he'll bring you through it. And I was like, you know, God's with me. I know I'm feeling frustrated and sometimes I feel like a fish out of water, but I'm growing. I have an earnest desire to serve my employer. I have an earnest desire to grow my business, Noi Productions. God is with me. Calm down. Go and commit. And it was on the ninth day. And um, I kept on saying, like, every day I'd be like, day one, Noi Productions. Day two, Noi Productions. Day three, Noi Productions. Well, this was day nine. And I got up in that morning and I was like, you want to start the day like a bitch? Or do you want to start the day like a king? You know, day nine of Noi Productions. And I was kind of like, I had that mantra in my head and I sat down on the subway and I was like, day nine, Noi Productions. Then I raised my head and I looked in front of me. There was the number nine. The number nine. Showcased on a subway advertisement. The number nine. I sat down. I was like, day nine, Noi Productions. I look up the letter, <laughs> the letter nine, the number nine right in front of me. I'll show, I'll share a picture. I took a picture of it. It was meaningful to me. So I took a picture. You know, day nine, Noi Productions. I look up, there it is, the number nine. And I feel that's how God speaks to us. It's like, um, I've heard it described as a voiceless voice, a knowing, an understanding, a connection. It's that feeling you feel when it's like you look at a squirrel or, you know, you know, a little squirrel, you know, or, you know, like a pigeon, you know, you know, seagulls. You know, just the majesty of nature, like when a little baby cries, you know, or a little baby laughs. You know, when a baby laughs and you hear their little lungs kind of, <laughs> their little lungs just, the little baby lungs just functioning for the first time. They got a little giggle. <laughs> you know, little babies, you know, little munchkins, youngins. That beautiful majesty of life, that that knowing. And that's what that letter nine represented to me. It was like that knowing. God is with me. God is with us. If he brings us to it, he'll bring us through it. That's very important. And uh, just feeling grateful for that. And that's more more than enough for today and um i'd like to extend this out to my dear audience 
you know? It's yours to have. A beautiful life. Your your hard work can bring you your reward. God is with us. If he brings us to it, he'll bring us through it. In business, in relationships, in a pandemic, you know, God is with us. Hallelujah. It's your old sucker buddy. Guess who? Jonathan James Ramcharan. Reporting live for duty on this magnificent March 28th in the year of our Lord. 2021. Yes. Business, business, business. Holler at a player. God is with us. The show is available on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, my own website, chianathan-ramcharan.com. And as always, folks, if you're enjoying the show, getting some laughs, chuckles, gags, guffaws, chortles, if you are digging the show, folks, please help my black ass out. Share me with a friend. Till next time, folks. You live it. You love it. You realize it. Hi. Peace.